It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 673 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I've got a fun guest lined up for you today. Joining me is Vince Beese. Vince is CEO and founder at Sales at Scale and of the Revenue Exchange. And great news for longtime listeners, Bridget Gleason, otherwise known as Captain Fantastic. She's back in action. She'll be joining us again next Wednesday. So make sure you tune in for that. But in the meantime, stick around for this great episode today. Now, before we get to Vince Beese, I want to let you know about the sales house. Now, if you're a regular listener to Accelerate, you know that I believe we've got a problem in terms of sales training and educating our salespeople. I mean, sales training by itself isn't doing a good enough job of teaching salespeople about the human aspect of sales, how to build relationships, how to connect with buyers, engage their interest, build trust, and inspire them to take action. So to fill that need, I built the sales house. It's it is the only all-in-one education platform for B2B sellers. Come and experience the hundreds of hours of educational content and courses from me, as well as from other world-class experts that have come into the community to share their expertise. And also make sure you join in our live coaching hours, our live workshops, and our in-person meetups, all designed to accelerate your career and take it to the next level. Now, to learn more about The Sales House, make sure you visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash 673. That's today's episode, 673. Again, let me give that to you, thesaleshouse.com forward slash 673 to take advantage of our special $1 trial offer for listeners of Accelerate. We'll see you there. All right, let's talk with my guest today, Vince Beese. Vince works with a lot of entrepreneurs and small enterprises to drive revenue growth. And some key points we're going to cover in our conversation today. Defining what constitutes a meaningful conversation. Very important to understand that. And Vince talks about why you should be measuring these. Talk about falling B2B close rates and failing, uh, falling, excuse me, quota attainment and how we should be fixing that. And we're also going to get into Vince's deal prediction system. He's got five questions that he says he can ask any sales rep, any sales manager, and be able to predict with 100% accuracy if that deal in the pipeline is going to close or not. Very interesting. All right, here we go. Vince Beese, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, so tell folks just a little bit about you before we get started. Absolutely. Um, so my professional career, uh, started off in radio DJ. So had nothing to do with sales, uh, kind of fell into it probably like a lot of people you do, but then got fortunate. And when the internet thing came around, got involved in that and continued with a 20 year career with working with mostly enterprise SaaS companies. Okay. Enterprise SaaS companies. Excellent. All right. So we're going to dive into a couple topics here. So one I wanted to start with is you know, sort of posit the existence of a, of a metric that, that people aren't really keeping track of, which you call the meaningful conversation. So, yeah. so what do you mean by a meaningful conversation? I mean, a conversation do you have a, a, a back and forth conversation where at the end of that conversation, there's give and take and there's that clear, clearly defined next steps. And where I got to with this meaningful conversation thing is that, you know, you speak to your sales reps and you say, how did your meeting go? And they always say, oh, it's great. They love me or they love this or they love that. And I said, well, okay, well, what, what came about from that meeting? And so that's when I, I created this metric called the meaningful conversation. Okay. So, so give an example. What's, what's, what's an example of something that makes it meaningful? Right. Great. So let's say the sales rep has a demo. Demo goes well. 
that's that's fair enough. But tell me why you you felt the demo went well. And again, at the end of that demo, what are the next steps? So to me, the meaningful part of this is that it led to the next step in the process, the next activity, and so on and so forth, right? Okay, so you're defining a meaningful conversation as one in which the customer commits to do something. Exactly right. There's give and take, there's commitment on both sides, yes. Commitment on both sides. So what are the prerequisites for the customer to make that commitment? I mean, what, what, what has to happen? How do, you, how do you plan for a meaningful conversation? With well, that's, that's the thing. So I'll track all activity, but my point is that all activity is not the same, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have, you're going to leave voicemail messages. You're going to send emails. You're going to have conversations. But what I care is the conversations, the meaningful conversations that lead to something else. So some of these conversations won't have a next step and that's fine. It just happens. Right. But again, well, is, is it fine? Well, I mean, sometimes it's out of your control, right? Sometimes it's, sometimes things happen and, and end abruptly and you didn't get to get to that next step and so on and so forth. Or sometimes you had a sporadic conversation or an ad hoc conversation where you caught somebody, but you're not going to get something out of that necessarily, right? But I still want to track that. I, want, I still want to know that you had that conversation. So I don't know if it's okay. It's just realistic that you're not going to have every conversation be a, what I quote, a meaningful conversation. Well, I think I can agree on that. I think, I think one of the, the question really was is, so what, what's the planning that goes into a conversation to enable it to become a meaningful conversation? Right. So I think you, you should be strategic about if you're, if you're, again, going back to the demo call, if you're going to have a demo call, you should know what logical next steps should be. So by the end of that, we reiterate things about you liked about the demo, things that you'd like to see, and then next steps, right? So to me, you should have a format or an agenda for the demo that at the end, of course, the takeaway from this should be the next step is I'm going to get put together a proposal. And they agree that they're going to review it with me. That'd be, a, to me, a logical next step and a part of this meaningful conversation of the demo. Right. I mean, but you would oftentimes could preface the conversation with that, you know, sort of, hey, let me take you through the roadmap of this is what we're going to do today. And if yeah. we meet your expectations, then this is what we expect the next steps will be. Right. You could start off with that for sure to yeah, set I've, expectations, right? Yeah. I, I, so part of what I was driving at is, is to me, is... Right. I mean, you don't have complete control over every conversation. Everybody knows that, right? Things go sideways. I mean, the only thing, as I say, the only thing you can count on in sales that won't go according to plan. But but the plan has to be, and this is where I think a lot of reps miss the boat, is you talked about sort of an ad hoc call. Yeah, I don't think I believe in ad hoc calls. Yeah, I think that that every call, you need to have a plan, right? Mm -hmm. There's something I'm going to accomplish this in this call, something in terms of the value that I'm going to deliver to this prospect. And and they're going to agree that in exchange for that receiving that value, they're going to commit to some next step, right? Some some yeah. outcome, as you might call it. Um, and yeah, but you have to go into the call with that that plan. I mean, it, it's it's possible that yeah, something will happen. The customer gets up and leaves. <laughs> I can cite chapter and verse from my career of, of uh, calls that have not turned out the way I thought. Yeah. But at least you went into it with the plan. You thought, yeah. okay, this is what's going to happen. And that, and I think this is missing a lot of times because I don't think people, a lot of times reps aren't as deliberate about saying, okay, here's really what the customer expects from us in this call. I mean, too often it's it's the boss, the manager saying to the sales rep, well, you know, we got to do our stage migration at this call. This is the time to do it. And it's like, well, 
that can't be the that can't be the goal of the call. The right. goal of the call is what are we what are we doing for the prospect that helps them yeah. migrate to that next stage? Right. right. So I, I so when I let me clarify one thing. Ad hoc. Sure. I mean that. I'm calling them ad hoc, meaning it wasn't scheduled. It wasn't on their calendar. If I get them live, of course, I should have an agenda of what I want to speak. I'm not looking to waste anyone's time. And I agree with you. I think you should start off calls or any meetings as this is a closing meeting, right? This is a meeting where I can move this forward. And I here's what my expectation of this. And here's what I'm trying to get and provide you, right? So at the end of the day, I've always believed in you're selling value. And part of the value equation is yourself, right? And if you're not adding credibility or value to the conversation, then you're going to have a harder time closing, aren't you? So um, I'm always looking to give in a conversation. And that's part of, would be part of my expectation. You know, like, so on this call, I'm looking to provide you a really good overview of our product by, through this demonstration. And as part of this conversation, what I'd like from you is honest feedback about the demo and then at the end, I want to talk about next steps. A logical next step would be, let's talk about the business model and how it works with us, right? So uh, there's a lot more structure to it. And I agree. I, don't th- I think a lot of people go into phone calls or, or conversations or meetings, not really well thought out. They haven't written it down or what they're looking to really accomplish. They just mm-hmm. take it like, oh, yeah, this is my demo call. I'm going to do my demo. I'm going to do my thing. I'm really good at this demo thing. But they're like, no, no, no. This is a closing call. Every conversation is a potential closing call. And are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for when they throw something at you or that all of a sudden they say in the middle of demo, hey, I'd like to move forward with a, with a contract or talk to me about you know, this bad press you got or whatever it is. Are you prepared to answer those questions? Are you prepared to get through objections and, and quite, quite frankly, buying signs, right? Well, yeah. Well, I think that's part of the preparation of the call, right, is, is that, that you are prepared not just for what the agenda is what the really what the buyer's agenda is not what your own agenda is but that you've you've had the foresight to sort of plan through if i say x and they say y uh what's my response to that right right yeah yeah i think that you know one of the outcomes of a meaningful conversation can be surfacing objections and Mm -hmm. You know, we have this this attitude oftentimes, and you know, people are writing about their new books out about objections that 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 um, I think I make more complicated than they really are. I, mean, I, th- I think complications or objections, excuse me, are actually pretty simple if people have the right mindset about what what they are. Instead of being defensive about them, I mean, to me, an objection is just a question. It's an unasked, unanswered question. Excuse me. Um, the customer's got a question about something. They may say your price is too high. Well, what's really the question they're asking? Right, right, right. I, look, I'm, I'm, I, I embrace resistance and pushback and objections because I'm getting somewhere, right? As opposed to I don't knows or maybes and, and ends, right? Your price is too high. Your product is lacking. Um, whatever it may be, at least I'm getting somewhere. I'm getting closer to a yes by objections, right? I'm getting through what's important to them. Or you're getting um, so, closer to a no, and that's fine too. Yeah, yeah, but you have to embrace that, right? I mean, it's people that don't embrace that are like, you know, uh, like a deer in the headlights when those hard questions come up. Don't understand those are those are awesome buying signs. They wouldn't bother with you and ask you these tough questions if they didn't care or didn't want this, right? Well, but see, you're 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 asking the right question though. They wouldn't ask you these questions. They're not. 
you know, when people say, hey, this is an objection, it's like, yeah. I object to this. Well, no, they don't <laughs> object to this, but that's how, that's how we train that's salespeople true. to think about it. Somebody objects to something, well, what do we do? Well, we get all defensive and we say, well, there's got to be a way to manage this and work around yeah. it and handle it. Think of all the adjectives we use to talk about objections. Yeah. You just have to answer a question. That's all it is. It's a question. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe and we should get rid of the word objection, honestly. Well, I, I think, I think about I think, it. Yeah. And I think that I mean, see, you just naturally you you use the right terminology about it that and you and I hadn't planned this at all, is is yeah, they're just questions. Sometimes yeah. you have to work to find out what the question is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That they're trying to get answered. But it's a question, to your point. It's you know, if it's really seriously an objection, then it's a disqualifier. Right. Right. It's a disqualifier. And the, the sooner you get that out of the way. The better. Yeah. Or the sooner you can get to it, right? The more you're going to learn. Well, exactly. So right. one way or the other. But I mean, this is the other thing that, that drives me nuts about objections. So sometimes and I've written about this and get feedback from people who think, you know, objection are always things to be handled and always a sign to sell harder. And it's like, well, no, sometimes it's a sign that's just not a prospect for you. And why are you wasting your time on this one? That's they got a low probability of close. Go go talk, go call on somebody that's gonna close. And I have to tell you, two of my two of my hot topics that I have today is the, this diminishing close rate, close ratio rate, and the diminishing quota attainment rate. It's just I don't know why people aren't screaming from their top of their lungs and doing anything about that. Instead, I think what we see is <laughs> people just you know what we need to do. We need to hire more reps so we can drive down the quota attainment and drive down the close ratio. But it's like. If you're a manager, wouldn't your life be easier if you didn't have to hire more salespeople, but you just had to make them better? But I had this conversation with the CRO of a big-name SaaS company, and we're talking about his growth plans, Mm -hmm. and this was pretty recent. And he said, well, our plan is, you know, we've got to develop this great machine to put a lot of leads in the top of the funnel, and so we're just going to, you know, grow that machine bring in more SDRs, and it's all top funnel. And their close rate's 20%. I mean, it's, it's horrible, right? And I said, well, let me think about this for a second. Or have you ever thought about this? Is It'd be faster and less expensive to work on inclo- <laughs> increasing your close rate, improving your close rate, than hiring and onboarding all these people and spending all this additional money in marketing, in lead yeah. gen. Yeah. And it was just like a blank stare. Like, that's just not on our agenda we're just not thinking about that and this is this is pretty common and i you know for people listening to this this is the easiest fastest thing you can do is focus on increasing your close rate yeah i mean if you're if you're really sitting there at a one out of five close rate for the most highly qualified opportunities in your pipeline i put forth that you don't have a pretty you don't have very good product market fit you don't have a good product market fit or your process sucks or you have shitty salespeople or you don't train your salespeople or you overhired and good people, uh, bad people are getting good opportunities. There's a thousand reasons, but selfishly as a, as a sales leader, as a manager, last thing I want to do is add more bodies that I have to take care of and I have to hire. I'd rather have it an army of trained soldiers that are really good and really hungry and are really, really busy because they're getting quality opportunities that they know what they're doing with, right? Mm-hmm. And that also goes to the other second part, which is like, you know, so you hire, you know, 10 reps because you know four of them are going to fail within three to six months. And you're expecting to have a quota attainment over a year of about 60, 70%. Like, well, okay, maybe 100% may be unrealistic of quota attainment, 
but like 60% quota attainment is acceptable? Like, why is that the norm, right? And is that what you're seeing? Are you seeing quota attainments around 60% overall for a team? Well, I mean, if you take the data from CSO Insights, then it's below 50% you know, across the board. So, you know, if we just use that as one one data point, I mean, the thing there's so many variables, right, with yes. quota attainment, because quotas are yeah. set by, you know, <laughs> taking a, a deep inhale and and picking a number on a dartboard. I mean, there's there's oftentimes not a lot of science associated with that. So it's it's a little strange, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to. But I think I think it's a trend, though. I think that's a number that needs to be taken seriously, just as you talked about. Is and I know that you know folks at CSO Insights and and people are very close to that. They are very concerned uh, about this because it does speak to sort of a larger problem. Because it's not just that in isolation. You know, we just talk about SaaS companies with low close rates. Because you know, right now they're serving the the period of time where they can they can harvest a lot of prospects for top of funnel. But what happens eventually? That starts getting a little skinnier, a little narrower, a little harder, more more contention for those prospects. You have to improve improve your close rate. Otherwise, you can't grow your business. Um, and you know, if you're if you're going after if you're selling. To enterprises, you're selling, you know, uh, six, seven-figure deals. Your world, your pipeline, your universe is much smaller than if you're selling SMB. So th- that much more important that if a good one does enter the to the funnel, you better make sure you're doing your best to follow that three-year process to close it right. Um, and yeah, I think- arguably, arguably, if you're not closing at least fifty percent of your deals, uh, especially deals of those size that you're talking yeah. about. Then yeah, fundamentally, there's just a, a real problem that's not being addressed that needs to be addressed, and the reps themselves, you know, shouldn't be putting up with that. It, it's sort of this conundrum yeah. is that we have, and you know, you work in the SaaS business, and is that you know, I was at a conference recently and overhearing this account exec complaining about the fact that he was being asked to prospect. Because he had time in the day, right? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I don't prospect. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, okay, it, it caused this thought to materialize in my mind. It's like, okay, you don't prospect. And quite frankly, if you're only closing 20% of your business, you don't close either. No. So what right? are you doing? <laughs> so what do you do? Right? So as the world changes, and the world is inevitably going to change, right? This whole model that we're using for, for SaaS business right now, inside sales driven, It'll stay inside sales, but it is going to change, right? <laughs> it's evolving already, but it's, it's going to change in ways that are pretty significant that I don't think we understand yet, but it, it will because that's just the way the world works. Where are these people going to be? They can't prospect and they can't close. So who are you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, old school was you would hunt for your own food, right? Um, killed, you ate what you killed, right? Right. You know, and I, and I get the models today. They all work. But if I have downtime and I want to make some money, Right? Why not pick up the phone? Why? Why not send a you know a thoughtful uh, email out there? What else are you going to do? Sit on your hands and wait for stuff to be given to you? That's just oh, ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, but, but the top ten percenters, they, they don't do that. The best sellers, they don't do that. Right? We're, we're talking about well, the lower. Actually, right? you are seeing some people that do that because they are so they're so well fed by that's true qualified leads that yeah. you know this person that I heard actually knew the person and. Yeah, by all accounts, pretty top person. Yeah. But had always been sort of in these lead-rich environments. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can structure your career to always be in those, I guess that's <laughs> fantastic for you. That's a nice problem to have, right? But, yeah, things will things will change inevitably. Um, 
All right. Well, that I didn't get so sidetracked on that, but that was has a lot of areas to be concerned about that we really need to focus on. And I think that that you know we have the the emphasis on sales enablement these days. Mm-hmm, sure. So I, I feel like there's maybe a missing leg in sales enablement because we talk about sales enablement in terms of uh, sales enablement in terms of content training coaching. But I think there's a fourth leg missing, which is education, right? We, we train people to processes. We train them to a method, but we're not making them smart about the person-to-person aspect of selling, right? And I, to me, that's, that's one of the real gaping holes that we have is the technology is great. We use the technology, but, but it's sometimes perceived to be a, a substitute for actually – building a connection with another human being, inspiring them to take some action, and so on. And those are things you don't really learn in training. I mean, to me, it's, it's, that's, that's an educational process that we have to involve our salespeople in, sort of a continuous basis, always sort of learning, reading, watching videos, all these things that's great resources that are out there, like this podcast, not to be self-serving, but that, that give people the ability to learn something a little new every day to help them with that really critical aspect that I don't think they get enough insight into from training and the rest of them. I mean, you got it. It's like anything like you're an athlete, you're, you want to be a, a major league hitter, right? You can take all the BP you want inside the dugout in a controlled environment. Right. But if you don't get enough of bats with live pitching, that's only going to go so far. And I think it's the same way what we're doing today when you're sitting behind a telephone or using email as your tool you have to do those things, but are you comfortable, you know, getting in front of someone face to face is way different than speaking on the phone, right? Me here on the uh, podcast with you, I can go to my browser, I can look something up while we're talking and I have all these things, but can you think fast on your feet? Do you know how to react to these questions that are going to come out in in a uh, meeting, body language, facial expressions, all those other things, like you don't, you're not even aware until you get in that environment that you can have enough at bats, right, face to face, to really get good at that portion of sales, which mm-hmm. is instrumental, of course, as you know, in enterprise sales. I mean, you're not closing an enterprise deal, at least you're not closing many enterprise deals without a face to face or may- numerous face to face. And somebody could do it on the phone, it's a little bit different than somebody could do it face to face, right? Well, yeah, I and mean, people should be doing more of the face to face, arguably, in many cases. Um, yeah, yeah. It's you know it's yeah, I don't know I, I guess let's go a different a different topic because I don't get too wrapped up around that one because you know things are changing and and you know I think we've we've sort of lost maybe the last thought on that part is we've we've lost this idea I think to a large degree that sales is an apprenticeship mm. and again I love technological tools I use yeah. a ton of them in my business I. Sw- wish I could have had them when I was you know, more in the, yeah. the prime of my sales career. I was carrying a bag, had territories. Um, but the way I really learned, though, was, was shadowing other people, going on sales calls with other people, w- watching them interact with other people, hearing how they phrase things. And you know, we have some tools that can do that. You know, we've got you know, call recording and so on. I, th- I, don't, I think you take those out of context. I think they're not quite as valuable as actually – sitting and watching and listening to somebody make a call or going on someone on a field call or and depending on what you're selling that may or may not be as as easy as as it sounds but but that that part i think we're losing a little bit 
And that's, I think, how, that's how I learned. I mean, I, my first year in professional sales, my company had me in a classroom training 10 weeks, I think, eight or 10 weeks in the first year. But I learned everything that I am today and that that taught me to sell, not from the classroom, but from hanging with other people and watching what they do. And you you look at any tech startup, SaaS tech startup, they're throwing these people right into the fire, right? So you're an SDR, you come in, make it a week or two of quote unquote training, and then you're on the phones, you're doing your thing, and you don't have enough time to really watch what the better ones do, right? And then those people- Just watch. Just watch, right? Just right. sit there and actually take the day-to-day in what they're doing, what the good ones are doing from the beginning of their day to the end of their day, and how they go about their business, right? To learn the craft of, of sales, right? And then they, and then three months, six months later, they come knock on your door asking for, "Hey, I think I'm ready for my promotion now," mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, but you know, you got to like ambition. It's just premature ambition, right? Right. And I, I, I was trying to recall as you were talking this companies that's how much time they're spending letting people sort of come up to speed and yeah. more and more the premium is placed on doing it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think back in the day we sort of had the luxury, you know, we had to sell something. I mean, I, I had sort of six months to make my bones in order to get to the next level of training. But that was a lot of time to sort of go through and watch, observe other people and so on. I, mean, I didn't have a strict quota per se. I had a certain dollar number I had to hit to qualify to go to the next training. But, but, um, it's just the expectations weren't the same. I mean, it's it is more about yeah. We want you to be. We want you to get smart about what we're doing. Not you know. I need you to be on target in the next sixty days. Well, look. Everybody wants it again. I'll reflect on my experience, which is SaaS startups. Right? They have aggressive goals because their board and their investors said we have to hit these numbers. Right? So they're not going to give you a lot of time to learn the burn the. The well, perhaps churn, they should, though. Yeah, perhaps they should, but that's not reality right now. So the churn rate happens to be high, not because you necessarily hired horribly, but potentially this person needed more time. They needed more time to watch and learn. And unfortunately, they're not given the time necessary that you mentioned that you had when you started your career. That just ain't happening anymore, right? It's just, and in any kind, I don't think it's coming back, right? Well, I think if companies actually sat down and did the math, they'd find out to be better off giving people more time. Because you know, the SDRs are churning twelve to fourteen months now, yes, you know, on average. So that's expensive. So let's compare the expense of that as opposed to giving them a little more breathing room and time to actually learn their job before you throw them into the fire, and say, "Hey, maybe at twelve months they'll be at the same spot they would in the previous regimen, yeah, but they're going to stay longer." Yep, agreed. Okay, I hate that one. We always agree. <laughs> well you told me at the beginning no just kidding <laughs> yeah, yeah before i went in the air i told you don't yeah. disagree with me <laughs> don't and last time someone disagreed with me <laughs> they never came back on the show again <laughs> not true not true it's not that true it's not that true as everybody knows who's listened to any of our <laughs> 600 almost 700 episodes now i enjoy enjoy disagreement um yeah i had a whole other topic we wanted to talk about but we had so much fun talking about that. I'm not sure we're going to have time to do justice to it. I think we'll need to have you come back on and, and do that again. We were talking about your deal production, prediction methodology, which I think is a an interesting way, uh, well, an interesting tool for sales managers, for one. Uh, interesting parlor trick for you to say, hey, I can ask you five questions and I can tell you with some degree of certainty whether or not your deal is going to close. Um, 
but let's just let's talk about it at a high level and then we will yeah. have you come back on and we'll we'll go into it in detail but yeah. let's let's talk about that okay so we're talking about this thing i call the deal predictor and um i can ask any sales rep five five questions about a specific deal and at the end of those responses I'll be able to tell you that you are either going to close it or you're not going to close it. And all I really mean, all I'm really trying to get at, Andy, is I'm trying to understand, do you know your deal? And are you honest about your deal? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to get from these questions. Because I always find the better sales reps, they know their deals and they're honest about their deals, right? They know the challenges they're, they're, they're having right now, mm-hmm. the challenges they're going to have. They understand the... Um, level of commitment and from the customer, they know everything about the deal. You could just tell the way they speak about the deal. And then there's the other reps like, um, well, I don't know. And, um, I think so. And so it's just the level of confidence that happens from this, right? Here's, here's the key, the key line for me and in the, the deals with the, the guys who aren't the, the top guys or the top people is they say, well, let me, let me check the CRM. So, and I tell people all the time, got to bear this in mind. The top people know all the details in their mind about their deals because they're working them through their mind all the time. They're ruminating about them. They're thinking about it. What what does the customer need from me? What do they need from me to take that next step? What do they need to be able to make a decision? What am I doing wrong? What could I do better? That's constantly ruminating on this. And the other deals... Other sellers that are not as successful, and if you're listening to this, this is you got to look at yourself in the mirror and think: Is this you? Is they lock that information away at night? They turn it off. Yeah. Do you walk into your team pipeline review with Salesforce open or whatever CRM system? You're looking at your opportunities, reading those opportunities, or when it's your turn to go and do your top five, do you just look at the room and say, "Here's my top five, and here's the challenge." Can you go through them? Because as you said. You think about them day and night. You understand clearly how to close these deals, what's necessary to try to close these deals. And, and this, is what, this is where this started from. When I did my, my team um, pipeline reviews, cut down on so much BS, right? Sales reps stopped coming into these meetings with the same old garbage opportunities because their peers are going to look at them and say, John keeps bringing up that shitty opportunity for the last three meetings. And it's gotten nowhere. There's no more progress. He has no more details. So guess what? John's going to stop bringing that because he's going to get these looks from the team and he's going to get his manager asking him questions like, hey, John, that's the third week in a row that you really have no progress in that. Seems like one or two things are happening, right? So they stopped doing it. So that's where I got this concept of the, the deal predictor because I'm a firm believer of transparency and having these people talk about their pipeline in front of their peers. Just like it's important to write down your goals and state your goals, it's important to talk about your pipeline and deliver your pipeline because it cuts down a lot of BS. I agree, 100%. And, and so I have a similar but different test. And it's not a whole deal predictor test. And yeah. I said, we're, we're going to dive into that. We'll have another session. We'll dive into yeah, your five questions. Is, and it gets back to this whole idea about having a, a real idea, a real handle on the value you need to deliver to your prospects, is that I think that if a manager comes to you or comes to a member of their team and says, look, Okay, let's let's look at you know five deals or your top five deals or whatever, and say okay, what what's the value we need to deliver to the prospect on the next call? And if we do that, what are they going to do in return? And 
that's that's such an acid test question because if you have reps sitting there, which you oftentimes do, who don't know the answer to that question, right? How can you possibly even finish your previous call with a prospect without knowing really the answer to that question? It might have changed a little bit as you thought about it, but but nonetheless, you need to know that about every single qualified opportunity in your pipeline. Full stop if you're a salesperson. What's the next step going to be? What's the value the customer needs from us in order to make the next step, move step one step further in the decision? And what they could do in return for receiving that value. And I bet you the sales reps that can tell you when you ask them a question, what value do we have to provide? Those are the ones that have certainly a much greater than 20% close rate. I'll guarantee you that. Well, it's very possibly true, right? I mean, yeah. it's, and, I th- and it gets back to this point we talk about, you know, people constantly having their deals in mind. This is, again, you get pushed back from time to time. When we talk about this, people say, oh, you know, work-life balance and it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're sitting there staring off into space while you're with your family or, you know, hey, we can't go out to dinner tonight because I need to think about these deals. It's, it's not that at all. It's right. just, it operates at sort of a subconscious level that, you know, sales, and that, the analogy I bring up to people to understand is sales is a creative profession. Mm-hmm. It is a creative profession. It's like writing a book. It's like writing mm-hmm. a screenplay. It's, you are telling a story in many respects. And... I guarantee you, you know, authors, you hear them interview, write, hear interviews with authors, you read interviews with authors, they're talking about, you know, they get the story in mind. It just sort of sticks with them. Well, this is something similar. You're just, you're, yeah. you're working it through at a subconscious level. Maybe sometimes it rises a little during a free moment to a more conscious level. But it's, it's almost like thinking in the shower, right? Right. You, you had a meeting Tuesday, it's Wednesday. You're like, you finally caught like, oh, when they said that one thing, and then you're like, for some reason it pops in your head. You're like, oh man, I got to go back with this. And that's what they really were trying to express or whatever it is, or better yet, you know, we often, we often say is, you know, bringing your manager to the meeting, right. Um, uh, you know, and sometimes the, that to me, if you're bringing anyone to a meeting, they should add value. And to me as a, a manager, if I joined a meeting, if I'm not bringing value, I'm not going. And my value typically was I'm listening to the conversation going around mm-hmm. and I'm picking up things differently than you are because you're focused on the next question. I'm focused on just listening to how this conversation is going, looking at body language, looking who's involved, who's on their phone, texting away, and who's really paying attention, and the tone of the questions, why they're asked questions, when they're asking questions. To me, that's a team effort. And I don't know why mm-hmm. I'm talking about this right now. It was something you spurred. That brought, <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm a big believer in, in team selling. And I think especially any sort of high-value deal is – because I you know, spent a major chunk of my career selling really large, complex communication systems for lots of money. I always wanted two people in the call. I mean, whether it was with me or me going with someone else or someone else, two other people going to a meeting, that second set of eyes and ears, as you talked about, is really important because you hear things differently. And if you only want one perspective, you think yours is the only perspective that's right on a deal – Ah, you're missing a bet, right? Is you want to have somebody else yeah, yeah. involved. Yeah, I guess the way I brought it up was now remembering is that you know opportunities should always be on your mind. It doesn't mean you're constantly thinking about it, but like post this meeting, you have to regroup and debrief on the meeting. Here's what I heard and saw. What did you hear and see? Okay, here's what we need to do to provide value to keep this thing moving forward, right? And it's you have to have conversations and think through this. And to your point, sometimes it doesn't happen right after. Maybe you should let it sink in for a little bit. Right. Both think about it individually and then come back and talk about it. And that might be 24 hours later, might be an hour after, but 
you know how things sometimes take their time to think in and that's just being, you know, top of mind with a lot of your opportunities. And it doesn't because you're forcing it, it's because that's just your nature, which goes to characteristics of a top seller, right? I mean, yeah. it just, just happens. Well, I think sort of in closing, I think a, a great discipline for people, this is what works for me and people can decide whether it works for them. Cause I'm that type of person. I'm constantly thinking things during the day is I consciously have to close them out before I go to sleep or I'll never go to sleep. <laughs> and so what I'll do is, is, and this may sound hugely ineffective to some people, it works for me, is, is I'll send myself emails before I go to bed. Um, <laughs> and only one, one thought per email. Yeah. Basically, it's in the subject line. And that way I don't have to worry about you know, going to Evernote or Bear where I keep my other notes and so on. It's just when I wake up in the morning, I look at the email or get myself you know, organized for the day. It's right there. Scan it. Boom, 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 boom. Here are the things that I emptied out at night before about the deals I'm working on or the projects or whatever it is. And yeah, then you start over again. I'm curious. Do, 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 do you delete those meetings? Um, those do messages or do you save them over time? It'd be pretty cool to like catalog all those emails you sent to yourself. <laughs> you could do a book about that. Well, they're all, well, I'll have to think about that. They're all archived uh, for sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, yeah, I put them in the appropriate place. So when I start working, you know, it could be in a yeah. document I'm creating or it could yeah. be in a presentation I'm putting together or something. But there's usually a home for them. But I, I try to empty it out at night because if you don't, you may forget or maybe you're starting over the next morning, uh, working <laughs> or writing over the thoughts you had the day before that were good thoughts. So it's yeah, for people to think about, it, just yeah, keep, keep the thoughts going and then just I said, take them out at the end of the day and, and start over fresh the next day. I, I can see some of these emails. Dear Andy, you're the best. Keep it going. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, and by the way. <laughs> yeah. N- no affirmations in those emails. No, just like, uh, yeah, seriously, it's just the subject line. That's yeah. one thought. I almost never write in the body of the email. Um, so anyway, everybody, I'm sure has their own, their own <laughs> exactly. tricks for doing it, but it's a good way to just empty the, empty the bin at the end of the day. All right. Well, Vince, uh, it's been great talking to you. We're going to said we're going to have you back on. We're going to talk about your deal predictor methodology, which I think is an interesting thing for people to learn about. So in the meantime, though, how can people get in touch with you? Great. I appreciate that. I also have a, I've launched a podcast. It's called uh, Best Selling Podcast. You can go to bestsellingpodcast.com. But my main business is, uh, it's called Sales at Scale. And what it is, is a B2B sales consultancy. We focus on helping folks with their go-to-market strategy and execution. And as I've been saying throughout this podcast, my focus has always been SaaS technology companies, mm-hmm. typically typically selling to enterprises. So as you can imagine, early stage companies struggle with the go-to-market and what that means and so on and so forth. So that's sales at scale. And that's what I do for a living is I, I've stopped working as a W-2 and started helping people as an advisor and, and coach, right? That's what we do. Entrepreneurs. All right. Well, Vince, well, thank you. And we'll look forward to talking again shortly. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Vince. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank my guest, Vince Bees. Join me again next week as I am joined by Oren Broberg. Oren is president and CEO of Modus, and we're going to be talking about the state of sales enablement, so be sure to come back and check that out. And as I mentioned before, my friend, Bridget Gleason, will be joining us, and she'll be back in action to join us again next Wednesday. As I mentioned earlier in the program, don't forget to visit thesaleshouse.com for our special $1 trial offer. That's thesaleshouse.com forward slash 673. 
Thank you again, too, for our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. And thanks again for joining me, friends. Until next week, good selling, everyone.